Good morning, church. Getting better. That's good. Second week of 10 a.m. on a holiday weekend. You're looking wonderful. It's good to see everybody. Uh, Happy Memorial Day weekend. My father is a Vietnam veteran, and he has an interesting story of God's providence, whether we choose to believe in that word or not. I'll tell you what happened. That means God's plan. He was drafted and shipped off when he was 18 and a half, 19 years old, give or take. And he got either the mumps or the measles in boot camp. And so they sent him home. And then he was redrafted about 22. And just to tell you about the state of that war and our country and all the problems, he was called Grandpa at 22 because he was two years older than anybody else. Uh, but God protected him, brought him back, and uh, I'm here 40 years later. We'll say it that way in some ways. So happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, a couple of housekeeping announcements. Um, next weekend is Communion Sunday. Please come worship with us. We'll take communion. And after and during that service, we're going to take a communion deacon's offering on Communion Sunday. And what the deacon's offering is going to be about that Sunday, there's going to be two offerings that Sunday, so hang with me, is Margaret Harkin and John Fahm have and will be in the Philippines in the last year doing mission work, and we want to give you a chance to donate to that, give to that, and that's going to be our deacon's offering June 5th. We're going to pray for John at the end of service because he leaves tomorrow. What time? 10 p.m. You got like a whole day and stuff, I know. And Margaret was there in January serving, so uh, if you see John after, after service, ask him. He's going to go do uh, some church planning and some strengthening of churches in the Philippines with the... Uh, organization called E3, and uh, they're a, good or- a great organization. So let me pray, and then let's, we might have to stand up. Everyone's got the holiday stare at me, but let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the hearts that are overjoyed, and I too thank you for the hearts that are hurting because they're humans. We're humans, Lord, and we're precious to you. And in this sermon, as we start to unpack more of the Sermon on the Mount, We see what your son in all his brilliance has done, and he showed us our hearts. And um, that's hard, Lord, because I know my heart, and I hide my heart often from many people, maybe even in this place, because I'm a human. But Father, you know my heart, and you love me unconditionally through Jesus. Help us know and see and taste and walk in that love today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have a couple of holiday Sundays coming up, and we're trying to get through the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to keep plowing on Memorial Sunday. Uh, I'm going to pray twice at the end of the service. I'm going to pray and thank God for this nation, which we should all love. We have our faults, don't get me wrong, but we should all love. And I'm going to pray for our uh, service men and women and all the people and pray God's blessing. And then we'll pray for John, but we're going to keep plowing through, and we're going to be in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 27. We're going to be here for two weeks, because if you're familiar, you might know the topic or reality of what Jesus is talking about. The Sermon on the Mount, just a bit of a recap, is God announcing good news through Jesus. The Gospel through Jesus. God is announcing, my kingdom is being fulfilled and coming here and what? Now. Not in a millennia or two to come. That's going to come, but Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about the here and now 
2,000 years ago and right now. So we've got to have a switch. Many of us brought up in church hear things like kingdom of heaven and we go, angels, clouds, oh. That's not what Jesus was getting at. And we'll continue to unpack, okay? This kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus' good news, as I said before, it's counterintuitive. And this is the hard part. It's counter-spiritual. You guys know what counter-spiritual means? It goes against everything we as humans think is spiritual at times. What does America as a whole, big loaded statement here, don't shoot me, think of spirituality? Most of us are spiritual, and most people have a, pole-wise, pseudo-Judeo-Christian mysticism sorcery theology. We're superstitious, right? Sometimes we do things and we think good things will happen and the karma gene will do this. Okay, well, that's another sermon. I have a sermon planned maybe in a couple months. Jesus first karma. Come hear that. It'll be good. Because Jesus is better. But in America, we have this notion and it's getting more popular. Look deep inside your heart and you will be at peace. That's kind of our theme, right? Jesus is counter-spiritual because he says, don't look inside your heart, look at me and follow me and you will be at peace. It's completely opposite. So last week we dealt with anger. I'm surprised you guys came back. (laughs) Anger's a hard one. And the theme we saw that Jesus was talking about was ultimately, no matter how we slice it and dice it, anger leads to where? Destruction. In your life, If you're angry and you remain angry and you stew in your anger, you will be destroyed. Many of us have personal testimony. Amen? That's what anger does. And we talked about the spiritual realm being real and we talked about anger and who dominates in that realm and it's not the Holy Spirit. I'll say it that way. So Matthew 5, 27. Let's put it up there and just see it before everyone goes, oh, You guys have heard this verse probably, right? Anybody know what Jesus is doing again? He is reciting Torah or the Old Testament. What Moses got on Mount Sinai. This is number two. Moses said, first, thou shall not murder when relating to each other. Remember, the first four were to God and then the rest were to us. Thou shall not murder. And we all go, duh. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, I'm not going to kill anybody. Some people think, well, God hasn't prohibited killing. It's just murder. I'm not going to debate that. In the Old Testament, it says, don't murder. We get what it means. Now he says, you have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Real quickly, if you don't know what adultery is, you will not have a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse. Oh. Church, we've got to talk about this sometime. I kept the young people in because they're going to see, and I hope you hear young people, that Jesus is getting at, he tells us what makes this world go around from, I'm going to say, Cain on. You guys remember Cain? Cain had a little attitude, got rid of his brother, went east of Eden symbolically away from God, and civilization has gone downhill since, right? All the way. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't cheat on your spouse. And we would all go, 
Yeah. Next verse. Uh oh. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with him in with her in his heart. Sorry. Again, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, ramps up the message of the kingdom. And this is why this is about here and now. What is he getting at? Jesus is calling people, people who are poor in spirit, people who are seeking peace, people who are merciful, and he's telling them what the fulfillment of the law looks like. And he starts with anger, and then he talks about lust. Now, Christians, I have another section here if I get there. Don't turn off. If we've been in church, we go, Oh, yeah, I'll deal with my bedroom life on my own. This whole section has to do with sexual lust and immorality, but it has to do with so much more, so hang with me for a few more minutes. We're going to stop there. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to pick up the section where Jesus says, if your eyes causing you to get crazy, take it out. There's a message there. If your arm's causing you to get weird, chop it off. We'll talk about that next week, but let's focus on this. Kim, can you pull up Matthew 5.20? This is our our verse we're going to go back to and back to and back to as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.20. Isn't that a hard verse? We're going to go back because church, it says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into my kingdom here and now. This is not, as I dealt with a couple weeks ago, this is not pertaining to eternal life. This is the kingdom of heaven, how we live here and now, how we're God's people here and now. There's a whole lot of theological things about being saved or being forgiven, but Jesus says what? Unless you are better than the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers and the political factions who like to point out other people's mistakes, you will not have part with me, Jesus says. You won't walk in my kingdom. Oh, I don't like that. Who likes that? I don't like that. That's horrendous. But it's grace. I know why we do it, so I'm not trying to go here. They did the same thing when Jesus walked around. One of the ways they hid tombs when Jesus was walking around as they would carve it out of a cave, a small tomb. They would place the remains of people in there because in the Jewish law you had to have certain restrictions to do certain things and you didn't want to get near all these things, but it was done properly. And then they would cover the tomb, sometimes almost seamless. They were very good. And they would make it almost like a jewel. It was beautiful. And this was common in the day. And Jesus would constantly challenge the Pharisees, the people who were supposed to be, in a sense, better than, and you know what he would call them often? One of the reasons they wanted to kill him? Whitewashed tombs. Outside you are beautiful, but inside there's lots of things that are decaying, Jesus would say. So this is what this verse means. It's exciting. Be excited. Don't read it as, oh, that pastor, be quiet. I need to be better. But the point Jesus is making is, Don't be like someone who only looks squeaky clean on the outside. Allow God's grace and power to take care of your heart, and the outside will take care of itself.
So that's, what you, that's why it's powerful to me. I go, oh. Feel the flood of the grace and mercy and power of God in our turning and saying, I'm for you, Lord. I want you. Help me want more of you. And God in time will take care of my anger issue. And it will be pure. Why? Because it's coming from my heart and soul, not from my behavioral modification. I can show off real well. You can too because you're smart. And you live in America and most of you have social media. If you don't, you have email. We're very, we're very holy behind our keyboards, right? So be encouraged, church. Don't see this as, oh, I could never live to that standard. Jesus is saying, Pharisees, scribes, religious people of the day, you're dead on the inside. And he's calling for people to enter his kingdom, walk in the here and now, with grace and truth, be honest with our shortcomings and rely on him. So now we get back to verse, was it 27? This issue of lust. Maybe go 28. Matthew 5, 28. This is very hard. Because once we see this word, we immediately, especially as men, go to a immoral, sexual genre. And it's there, but there's so much more. There's a reason why Jesus linked anger and lust. The law did it too. Because biblically, anger and lust, I'm going to stand on this and we can have coffee later, in my opinion, biblically, are the two most, I'll say it this way, lust and anger are the two biggest reasons human beings have a problem with each other on this earth. That's what I'm going to say, biblically. Lust and anger, and I'll define lust in a minute, are the reasons our world is so crazy. <laughs> Just gonna be there. Anger not dealt with leads to destruction and turns to violence usually. And lust not dealt with, I'll talk about that in a sec. Let me define lust so we can kinda go there. Biblically and what Jesus is getting at is lust is the condition of the human heart which dehumanizes someone else and makes that person an object for personal gain. That's what lust is. I'm gonna say it again, because it's important, we gotta hear this. Lust is the condition of the human heart which dehumanizes another person, makes them less than human or non-human, objectifies them in order that the one who has lust in the heart might receive personal gain or personal satisfaction. It's far broader than just looking at things we shouldn't look at online. That's a symptom when the disease is, I'm gonna dehumanize, I'm gonna objectify, I'm gonna step on to get where I gotta go. Biblically, the words Jesus used, that's what he is talking about. Now, the human race is very cunning and we're very keen. Can you agree to that? We're a shrewd, a shrewd race. We don't see shrewdness like this in the animal kingdom. Well, some do. Lionesses are pretty awesome. Female lions, awesome, right? But we as a people are shrewd and keen and cunning 
And we as a people, seven billion of us, maybe two plus billion toward the western end of culture, are very smart. And as a whole, we lust for things. We objectify things. In that power of lust and all those things that we know what happens in the human heart, we can harness it as a people and we can satisfy those desires to lust and make powerful countries, powerful cultures, powerful political platforms, see beyond what CNN tells you and Fox tells you, and we can as a people, large groups of people, begin to objectify and dominate. And Jesus says, folks, all that starts in your heart individually. <laughs> and that's the power. And you guys know this better than me, maybe. Some of you have lived longer. The lustful persuasion, the lustful heart, when manipulated right, can make lots of what? Money. Money. Kim, real quick, it's not on there, but can you go to 1 John 2, verse 15? 1 John 2. I, I find it funny that John lived the longest of the apostles. He was maybe close to 90, and he wrote Revelation and some other letters when he was exiled. And at the end of his life, his view of God's kingdom, I'm not going to say changed, but was deepened, right? He knew God and walked with God longer. 1 John 2, verse 15. He is saying this to little churches, maybe smaller than ours, all over the world which are being ripped apart. He says this. He always says this like children. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We go, that's okay. Let's get to the next verse, verse 16. Look what John thinks about lust. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that's lust. The desires of the eyes, that's lust. And the pride in possessions, believe it or not, that's lust. The, the yearn to lust is not from the Father, but is from the world. Young people, one of the reasons you're in here, hear this. What makes this world go around, not the Christian world, Lord willing, what makes this planet spin is for human beings like you and me who are controlled at times and manipulated by anger and lust. John says it best. It's the pursuit of money, sexual conquest, and desire of power. That's what makes the world spin. And if you don't hear it now, my hope is that you would start to see this week and go, don't think about me. Maybe pray for me if you need to, but... Jesus was on to something. We got Royals fans in the house, right? We're Giants fans, so we're on the same team. We're champions. We love it, right? Even in that mecca of sports and team and genre, at times, you can see from a distance how lust and zeal control every area of our society. John simply says, don't be swayed by the power of money, the power of sex, and the power of power. And he was on to something. 
He was affirming what Jesus taught and he was giving us practical advice. Back to Matthew 5.28. So if this is true, what do we do, pastor? Jesus ultimately using adultery and talking about the Torah of the Old Testament is making an outlandish statement, but it sounds so human in a good way, right? When I say human, I hope you don't get a sad face. The human race is amazing, and God created it. But Jesus, in this teaching, is saying this. When human beings treat other human beings as their objects of anger or lust, that relationship will be destroyed. That's all he says. When human beings begin to objectify other human beings and dispose anger towards them or try to conquer them in any way to receive personal gain, all parties are led sideways. Hear me, I know church, you become angry and I know there's just reasons for your anger. Sometimes you get an email from a family member and you just wanna go, again, I get it, I'm with you, I'm in that club. Sometimes you are unjustly treated at somewhere and you just wanna hit something, the anger I get. But Jesus' teaching is, let me show you kingdom citizen, Christian, how to deal with that anger. We deal with it in the cross that was given to us, where God's anger was absorbed and put away. Then we deal with it with the word himself, Jesus Christ, and his example. This is the hard part, and he's serious. He's literal when we get here, and then I'm going to have a two-person church. It's not my church. This church will be two people. When someone slaps you, Jesus says, you want the other one too? And I know self-defense. I get that. It would probably be more like a, don't hit me, I'm walking away in our culture. That's good. But we don't become enraged. Anger, Paul says what? It's all good to become angry. Don't sin. And then admonishes, don't let the sun go down. Deal with it in the gospel. Deal with it in Jesus. Deal with it in grace. There's an opportunity to be made whole and have that anger dissolved. And it's the Jesus way. I always remember, and maybe I'm just stupid. That's probably true. Ask my wife. She spends more time with me. On the cross, between two thieves, what does Jesus say? With just indignation, potentially, and the only real reason to be angry in the history of the world, he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what's going on. And that's how we deal. We follow the Jesus way, the gospel way, the kingdom way. Challenge for three minutes. I have it. Here is our challenge this morning, church. I want you to know in here, people aren't things. They never have been and they never will be. People are not things. They're not objects. They're human beings. They're created with imago Dei. In the image of God, the old preacher saying, you've heard it before, some of it is a little more dim than other people, but people are not things. They are created beings. 
And our hope and our joy would be that they would join the kingdom and see Christ and be forgiven. So the first challenge is I want us to walk through this week and the weeks to come to notice not things but people. That's good. That's a good start. And in that noticing, I want us as Christians, as God's people, as Jesus' people, to not seek to objectify people to get personal gain. I want you to do that because I love you. I want to do that because I love me hopefully in the right way because we can love each other, ourselves too much. In church, the last part of the challenge, if you in this week or two weeks or a month when we see each other again, if you begin and your heart and your mind are struggling and you are objectifying people to get your way and to maneuver and to get personal gain, you know what the pastor says? Stop. Take a moment. It can be in your car. It can be in your home. It can be walking down the street. When your heart is not right, stop. Father, forgive me. Thank you for showing me this. Help me walk in your grace and to what? Change. Believe it or not, and we're end of these kind of anger and lust. We'll hit lust practically next week when Jesus talks about like maiming self. That's not what he means. But anger and the lustful heart, the domination, the I'm going to walk over everyone to get my way, are at the heart of all of my bad relationships. They are. Now we can go have coffee because I know you can live like Christ on earth and people will still be angry at you <laughs> and potentially judge you and be miserable. We're not called to save the world. We're called to pursue Jesus, right? We're called to live by his word and follow him. I know this is like a great Memorial Day message, Pastor, but the heart of it is let's see this human race and love this human race. Let's see people who are hurting and people who are joyful. Let's not objectify them. Let's serve them. Let's love them. Let's come alongside and say, my preference is this, but I'm not going to go there because I know where that leads. Let's serve the Lord together. I'm going to pray quickly for our men and women in our armed forces and around the world. I would ask you to join me at least weekly, if you remember, and thank God for protection and provision, right? And those who serve. I was watching a video yesterday. It was a crazy video. People were screaming at each other. And then one guy just said, I've served this country for X, Y, and Z years in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I said, I don't agree with him, but I'll listen to his point a little long because there's something there, right? So let's thank God for those who serve. And then at the end, I'm just going to bring him here. I'm going to pray for John, and uh, he can give you a blip about his trip for about a minute, and we'll close, yeah? So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a tough little passage of Scripture about this issue in all of our lives, this wanting to maybe get and maneuver and at times objectifying human beings. Father, give grace for us to recognize that. Give grace for us to see when that happens. And then give grace for us to say, Lord, help me change. Father, help your people. Be gracious to us and be kind to us. Father, we do thank you for this country. We thank you for giving it to us. We thank you for the ability to come freely to worship. And we do thank you for all the men and women serving now and who have served for almost three centuries. Father, bless them and keep them. Protect them and guard them. 
Father, shine your face upon them and bring them peace wherever they are today and in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.